This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Seahawks insider Stacey Rost along with Jake Heaps. It's been uh, a, a rough weekend for some uh, sports fans in Washington. If you're a Husky, it was a great weekend. Beautiful weekend. Jacob Eason, Eason had... <laughs> You were giving me a hard time about that. It's just sometimes you say words and they they feel good saying them a certain way and it's hard to change it. Have you ever noticed that you've just been around people and you don't really catch on certain things that they say and then all of a sudden one day you notice like they say something that's a little bit different. You've been saying uh, margarita pizza and you're from Puyallup. (laughs) What's going on (laughs) here? Uh, Look, this this was a tough one, especially coming off for all Seahawks fans. This was a brutal Lost to be walking away from. Uh, obviously, you were hoping with a Drew Brees of Saints that you were able to come out and, and go 3-0 and and have a lot of momentum in your favor for the Seahawks. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, and you lose in a, in, in a pretty dramatic way mm-hmm. uh, at home and just simply got outmatched, and, and I think that was the tough one. And, and when you're talking about the uh, Cougs, man, it was, it was a... It was bad. The Brutal Cougs loss. Lost to UCLA after the Bruins came back from a 32-point deficit in the second half. We're going to get into it a bit more in the timeline. My roommate came home from like a birthday party she was at, and I was watching the game. And she sat down and sarcastically goes, who's going to win this one in the third uh, when the Cougs were up? I think at that point it was like 49-17. to 17. Yes. And I, I legitimately thought, that's a good joke. Like she's not like a huge college football fan. I was like, that's clever, Katie. That's really funny. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and, nope. uh, Brooke and I were actually watching the game and, you know, she kind of sat down around that same time and, and we were talking and everything and, and just kind of as we were talking, we weren't really, we were paying attention to the game, but we weren't really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden one score happens, turnovers, another score happens. Like all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is actually getting to be a game. And before you know it, it's 43 to 40. And this is like a legitimate game going on here at the end of the fourth quarter where we just all of a sudden couldn't take our eyes off of this game and couldn't believe that WSU was <laughs> was losing this game and all the momentum was slipping away. All while the while, Anthony Gordon is breaking Gardner Minshew's seven Throwing touchdown nine record, touchdowns for Gordon. Having a game. Um, it was really weird for actually both teams. The Seahawks ended up, uh, well, they obviously lost to the Saints 33-27. to It felt like the margin... Uh, was a bit wider there than it was with the final scoreboard, but yeah, um, yeah, just all a that, weird game. All the last, you know, couple heroics, you know, last couple touchdowns yeah. at, at the end of the game. Garbage Congratulations time, to fantasy owners of Russell Wilson <laughs> that helped out. But otherwise, Seattle uh, outgained New Orleans in pretty much every single statistical category. Whether you're looking at time of possession, uh, nearly doubled their yards, performed better on uh, as far as defense. When you just look at the number of tackles, it was it was weird to look at that game and think that they lost. It must be how the Bengals felt in week one when they looked at it and thought, wait a minute, I feel like we should have won. Um, And Pete Garrell kind of talked about that afterward, talked about how it felt like this really unusual game. And it sparked a lot of really interesting conversations that that you and I are going to explore, not only in this segment, but throughout the show. Um, One of them, to me, is just the offensive philosophy, which, again, uh, I want to get into... uh, coming up at 7.30 about the run game in particular and why I think it hasn't found its footing. Um, I just wonder, watching this game, how Schottenheimer 
has continued to develop the offense in year two and whether he's done so effectively. Because so far, yeah. they know exactly who they wanted to be heading into the year. They didn't know that. in week. I mean, in week one last year, they knew what they wanted to do. They didn't execute it until week three, and then they took off. They didn't, they didn't have less than 150 yards rushing in a game until week 12 after their week three win. Correct. Week three of this year... They have yet to establish that, even though they entered the year knowing exactly who they are and who they want to be. No, no doubt. And and all off season they looked great. Everything was not only were were the conversations that the coaching staff, the players, and all that were having, and you felt good about that. But you were seeing it come to fruition in practice every single day. You saw in preseason that this group was looking, you know, pretty sharp, especially up front. And now you get into three games of the season. And you have to be concerned about the level of play that this offensive line has, you know, has been playing over these last three games. They have not been as dominant at the point of attack. They has they have not been sharp. And this is a group that has been prideful in we are going to be bigger, badder, tougher, and we don't care if you know we're going to run the ball or how we're going to run the ball. We are just physically going to. Uh, outmatch you. And mm-hmm. the problem with that, Stacy, is in the NFL, <laughs> these other 31 teams, these these head coaches, these defensive coordinators, right. they get paid too, right? And you look at the Seahawks' approach, and I think they were able to catch people off guard last year. And I think now you see teams adjusting mm-hmm. and adapting and figuring out. How are they adjusting to Seattle, I, I think, one, you where you look at the Cincinnati Bengals and their the way that they played, uh, they went up there with a, a six-man front, uh, meaning that they were covering every single gap. Uh, you look at the way the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing. They they bring a lot of fire zone, a lot of different schemes and blitzes that make it hard on your bigger-bodied uh, guards and centers to really get to the second-level players. And when you talk about the Saints, they did the, they did the same thing. You could see when you watched on tape that they knew from a linebacker standpoint mm-hmm. what run was coming because they recognized the formation, the alignments, and they were simply able to beat the centers and guards double teams to the spots. And I think that was one thing that was very concerning to me was the lack of ability to get to the second level in the running game. And I think that that is a big piece of it is there just isn't as enough movements and simply not getting the ability to just simply get a hat on a hat and from an offensive lineman to the front seven Mm -hmm. aspect giving your running backs the ability to create and move and and do the things that they do so well and that was something that they were great at last year is they were not only were they physical but they were pretty assignment sound last year and and that's something that has been sorely lacking in these first three games, Stacey. We're going to talk more about that uh, run-first offensive philosophy at 7.30. We've also got general observations, including some takeaways on Ziggy Ansah and Jadavion Clowney at 8 o'clock, with some sound from Pete Carroll both earlier this morning with Brock and Salk and his 3 p.m. press conference. Uh, We've also got an interesting big if true at 8.30 that has to do with play calling, whether or not they can open it up, and who can get in Russell Wilson's way. But for now, let's get to the timeline. Uh, the Cougs and Huskies, like I said, had two very different weekends. UW dominated BYU 45-19 to in Jacob Eason's best game of the season. He threw for 290 yards and three touchdowns while completing 24 of 28 pass attempts. The Huskies have moved up to number 17 in the AP Top 25. Geno Smith, backup quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I don't have his tweet in front of me, but I believe he said something like, that UW quarterback is legit, like legit, legit. And I thought, you know what, Geno? <laughs> 
I concur. Yeah, hats off to you, Gino, watching the game. I think you watch the way the Huskies played versus BYU. This is this was potentially a very, very tough matchup for them. And the and for the way that they were able to not only be opportunistic on defense, take the ball away in big moments, but also on offense to, to control a very physical BYU defense the entire way in the running game. And then defensive uh, head coach and defensive mm-hmm. coordinator Kalani Sataki deciding to let Jacob Eason sit back and and not bring any pressure by dropping eight in coverage, that was the worst thing that he could have done because Jacob Eason showed you why he is a first-round talent, why everybody has just been so in love with you know his ability to throw the football. He displayed an elite-level arm talent, confidence, rhythm. You love the way that he played and how decisive he was. It wasn't just the seam balls that he was ripping for touchdowns. It was the fact that he was patient. If it wasn't there, he was hitting his checkdowns and knew exactly mm-hmm. where it was. So I have loved what I've seen from Jacob Eason so far. We're going to find out a lot more about this young man once we start getting into the heart of this schedule for UW. USC, Stanford, Oregon. Uh, you're, you're, you're really going to get into some really tough matchups. Utah. So you're going you're gonna to get a really good sense of where UW is at and Jacob Eason is at in particular. And at 745 tonight in Four Down Territory, we're going to find out whether you, Jay Keeps, think that other Jake, Jacob Eason, is a legitimate top 10 pick. Uh, meanwhile, Wazoo fell out of the AP rankings entirely. Anthony Gordon threw for 570 yards and broke the school record with nine, nine touchdown passes for Washington State. I, can't, I still can't believe he threw for nine touchdowns and they lost. Wazoo had a 49-17 lead in the third quarter. UCLA finished winless UCLA, yes. finished with 657 total yards of offense to uh, Washington State's 720 yards, but the difference in this game, Jake, was the turnovers. It, it really Am I was. wrong? No, it, it really was. Uh, you look you look at WSU, and it, it is sickening for that fan base to lose that game. They had it in hand. Anthony Gordon was having himself a career night, but ultimately when you have this air raid system, it's hard to put people away. I think this is a perfect example of it. When you pass the ball, when that is solely what your offense is all mm-hmm. about and not really having much of a run game. I know WSU is great at it, but this is this is an example of where it can bite you late in games to be able to put people away and finish it. If they just decided to run the ball and, and kill clock, UCLA doesn't have this opportunity. On the flip side of it, uh, I'm extremely happy for it. Random weird connection, but extremely happy for quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I was able to work with him a couple years ago at the Elite 11. He, he was one had of my an insane pass, Jake. That uh, When was that? Right before the half? Cal, and or not Cal, UCLA ended up being a yard short. I'm, yeah. uh, that had to be a 60-yard pass. Yeah, it was a 60-yard pass in the air. Kid's incredibly talented, uh, can get it done in the on through the air and on the ground, and has had a pretty brutal first three weeks, honestly. Mm-hmm. And to be able to have the game that he had, I know it was very emotional for him. A huge win for him, UCLA, and Chip Kelly in particular. That, that program has looked like the pits uh, over the last little bit, and, and that's going to be a marquee win for them moving forward. So happy for him in particular, but sick for Coug fans in particular. That was a tough, tough loss. Do you think this game is more reflective of what he's capable of? Or, you, you know what I mean? Like, do you think his yeah. first two outings were, were just a little bit rough? Well, UCLA, UCLA is a very, very young team, very right. young program. And so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that, you know, the adversity and success and to see them continue to keep fighting that way. But the honest, the honest truth is, Stacey, is it's a great story for UCLA. 
But the reality is, is WSU is too good of a team. They have too much leadership to not put that team away if they just simply take care of the football. It was a a one mistake after another that led to this, you know, situation where they this was a quintessential cooped it moment. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, in Philly, uh, one fan not so happy about the Eagles outing against the Falcons, uh, which was a loss in Atlanta. Um, I actually called the Falcons winning when you and I were with Tom. No big deal. It's it's <laughs> fine. I mean, I, I like barely remember doing that. Sure, sure, uh, sure. I definitely did. Um, <laughs> he talked about kids jumping out of a building that was on fire. He's being interviewed with a news station, and this is the uh, the dig that he dropped. And ironically, being my one of my, ex, my old coworkers took the ladder off the off the truck, raised it up, and was assisting people down. My man just started throwing babies out the window. Wow. We was catching them. Unlike Aguilar. That's the oh. most Philly fan reaction. Oh You're in the middle of... There is nothing like East Coast fans. That's nothing insane. like them. And you're, maybe nothing like Philly fans. You're, you're in the middle of it. a heroic <laughs> act. In a heroic act. Yeah. Where in most people's minds would not even be thinking about sports. They'd be just thinking about you know your adrenaline pumping in that moment. What's going on? And this guy, not only is he saving babies and being a hero... He's still digging at his his Philadelphia Eagles and Nelson Aguilar in particular. You know That's what incredible. I will say? Props to Nelson who uh, saw that video, retweeted it, and said, "Thank you for being a hero in the community. Would like to invite you and your family to the next home game. Twitter, help me out and get wow, me which is pretty cool." Well, that is big of him. That's big. Most players would be so petty that they'd be like, "Screw that guy." <laughs> the fact that Nelson. You know, actually is wanting to show love to this guy and bring him to a game I and know. all that. I think that's that's pretty cool. I think that's great. Uh, I didn't get to this um, earlier, but Jake, we had uh, we established a grading system a bit earlier. Yes. Uh, in the fourth preseason game, I established the BAPA scale. Now, here's me explaining to Tom Wassel exactly what that scale entails. I used a very complicated scale called the BAPA scale, B-A-P-A. It's very similar to baseball's BABIP scale, which is batting average on balls in play. Basically, when you hit the ball, what's your batting average? Wow. Uh, okay. Both are just uh, very complicated measures that uh, analytics folks like myself use. You're not uh, an analytics person. Yes, I am. I am right now, Tom. That's what I am right now. <laughs> Jake was graded on the BAPA scale, which is behavior, ability to embrace atmosphere, peer relationships, and attire. Here's how he did. On behavior, four out of five. That was honestly his lowest score. We had a couple near misses. Just listen. Incident number one, we had a nice little game by CJ Procise. Jake did one of these. A single clap. Really? Held his hands together because he realized what he did. Incident number two. So he gets, so he gets docked. <laughs> Incident point for number that. two. Are you kidding me? I I'm caught not myself. kidding. You caught yourself, <laughs> but you did it. Incident number two was a very sharp intake of breath. I forget what the play was. It might have been uh, might have been a sack or something. So, uh, Jake, I, you, you did not do as well this time. What? Okay, on a tire. You know, I know that you got five out of five last time. Yes. Um, you did get five out of five this time. You came wearing a suit because you I had a TV spot to do afterward. Five. Sure. Yeah. I, fine. It, hey, got my first opportunity to do right. post game right. show for Cairo. Um, that was pretty cool. Behavior is a different story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Cody Barton recovered a uh, a fumble or, or a muffed punt. I can't remember which one it was, but recovered it to get Seattle the ball back at a time when they really, really needed it. Uh-huh. 
Jake is sitting between Bob Stelton and myself, and all of a sudden we hear the crushing of aluminum, and we turn, and Jake has crushed a Coke can in his hand to keep from saying something. But they needed that it's, moment. Well, it's true, but it's it, it, look, the press box is barbaric. Okay, what? it is. You got a bunch of people in there. Barbaric that, is yes. hardly the word I would use. Okay, barbaric or or whatever. It's it's stiff. All right, I <laughs> okay. say it's stiff sure. in there. Sure. You've got a bunch of people who, yes, I, I think are are professionals, working journalists. You know, trying to keep things professional. But let's be honest, most of the people in there are are Seahawks fans. Like, let's be real. And you're trying to pretend that you're not a Seahawks fan, that you're not going to react. We're trying to be cool, man. Why? Because we are. Like, I, I get that, but at the same time, like, you're you're t- you're telling me not to be a human being, to be emotionless. You know. And if big things are happening in a game, like that fumble recovery, it took everything in me not to scream or yell or something. So, yes, I took it out on the Diet Coke can that I had just finished yep. and crushed it. Uh, so, I'm sorry. And then I can't remember what the next thing was, but I embarrassed my fellow 710 co-workers, and I, I, I want to sincerely apologize Thank you, to Jake. Bob Stelton okay. and Lydia Cruz. Oh, um, that's it? Oh, and, and you, okay. yes. Uh, and uh, and in, in a moment where there was a big play, I can't even remember exactly when, but I, I clapped both, I clapped twice. You did. I clapped twice, you very did. loudly, and, and you three scolded me so we hard. We all turned and, at the same time and went, shh. In particular, Bob Stelton. He was yeah. not happy no. with me. And I want to apologize greatly because that was very unprofessional. How dare I show human emotion when someone, when, when a team that I really, really care about? You know why I think you got so excited, though, is it very uh. much felt like Seattle could have, should have capitalized on those moments. Yes, uh, they should have. They because should've. they were on the field the better team. Minus the many self-inflicted wounds, I think in both of those moments, the reason you got so excited is because it felt like, all right, here we go. Well, now the tides turn. Obviously, it, it, well, this is obviously how it's going to yeah, go. Yeah, the, the momentum, and obviously you have the belief that Russell Wilson and this group just inherently, they, they do this. They, they, there's multiple examples of them being able to overcome and win games. And they had opportunities late and weren't able to capitalize on all of them. But uh, ultimately, you look at this game, Stacey. When I, I, I watched this tape, it was such a hard loss. And there was so much emotion because it was such a weird game. It was weird. It was very weird. And... It felt like in the moment that they, one, got dominated physically, two, that they were so sloppy with tackling, mental errors, mismanagement of the game that, you know, you just felt like something was wrong. Something was wrong with this team, that nothing was going according to plan. Even Pete Carroll got hit in the face with with a football, it was Aaron a sign football of from Cody Barton, and, and it not only hit him in the face, but it bloodied up his nose. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, friendly fire. But when I watch the tape, Stacey, I look back at this and I and I say say this. This game happened because of key mental errors and a few plays here and there. Hmm. It, this was not a total butt whooping from the Saints giving it to the Seahawks. This was, to me, the Seattle Seahawks beat themselves. I don't think the Saints came into our place, into their house at CenturyLink Field and owned the game. I think the Saints came in with a a conservative game plan. They were not going to allow themselves to beat themselves. They were going to try and get out of this game unscathed. And the defense in every statistical category 
played well. They limited him to 50 plays. Held him under to a three, single touchdown in the first Under half. 300 yards. Yeah, single touchdown in the first half. Obviously, it was a big one. Um, but you, you just look at all of it. In watching the tape, even offensively, they did not, they did not get manhandled uh, throughout the game. And really what you look at is they gave up 21 points. Mm-hmm. 21 points. And you look at the mistakes that led to points. I'll give you four of them. A punt return, very, very, you know, first score of the game. Yep. Punt return that should have never happened. One poor kick by Michael Dixon, poor tackling, poor pursuit. Uh, then you look at the Carson fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Poor guy cannot get out of his own way right now. Need to keep two hands on the ball all the way throughout the play. I know he tried to brace himself at the end, but you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Then the final one, then, then the uh, last two, you have fourth and one at the end of the half, and you don't get it. I love the aggression, but not in that moment. You should have played the played your game. The your, your Pete, you should have played Pete Carroll philosophy ball, punted the ball, uh, pinned them back in their own territory. Instead, that decision directly results into points at the end of the half, and now it goes from a fourteen to seven game to twenty to you know a twenty to seven game, which right. com- changes the complete complexion and of the game. You can't play the game you like to play. Exactly. Then finally. Finally, the one that, to me, broke broke the back of the Seahawks' uh, ability to come back and win this game was the opening drive of the second half. The Saints get the ball, and not only do the Seahawks stop them and they're kicking for a field goal, but then you have a boneheaded mistake. Uh, you know, a veteran player in Al Woods lining up in the uh, over the long snapper, which is a penalty in this league, a new rule. And now you have a field, a long field goal try to a um, to now they get a first down and eventually go score off that. Now it's twenty seven to seven. Those four plays right mm-hmm. there, Stacy. Those are mental errors and mistakes, mismanaging of game, not focused and being ready. That is not that doesn't have anything to do with being out physical, outmatched. And I think that is the most frustrating thing about this particular loss. Another frustrating thing for fans so far has been a lack of Seattle being able to establish the run game, which is the crux of their entire identity. Why haven't they been able to get that going? We're going to talk about that next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Seahawks insider Stacy Rost with Jake Heaps. In studio tonight, uh, Stacy. Yeah. I, uh, I know we got another segment to get to, but there was actually a really good text here that I want to address. Oh. from the three six zero. It says, "Jake, they didn't, um, they didn't have, they didn't take a timeout at, uh, at the end of the half. They had two timeouts left. That is unforgivable, and that is on Pete Carroll. Tell me I'm wrong. I like the tell me I'm wrong because I tell me I'm lot. wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. No, Where is the lie? I will not tell you you're wrong because <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. However, the reason why it doesn't make my list is one simple reason, and this leads to a bigger problem. But in that scenario, Pete Carroll wasn't planning on that happening. He was not planning for there to be a completion, and then all of a sudden at the end of the, the second play that you know there's going to be a big bomb to DK Metcalf. But the bigger problem in that is, yes, you would have liked to have had him call timeout, be ready. Mm-hmm. The problem for that was they didn't decide what they were going to do. What was the plan in that final possession? We have 30, it was 20, 30 seconds left at the end of the half. You mean you are felt we, like they didn't say, are we playing for field goal? Are correct. We playing for what, what are we doing? Are we going to, in this scenario, uh, let the clock go out, 
Are we going to run the ball? Are we going to kill the clock and just go to the, go to the second half? Or are we actually trying to get something accomplished? Are we trying to get a field goal? Are we trying to get a touchdown? Because if they were in that mindset, Stacey, of trying to, hey, we're trying to get points, then you call that timeout every single time. Mm-hmm. However, Pete Carroll, in that moment, and their offense, they were not on the same page in terms of what's our strategy, what are we trying to get done. I do think it's a, a big mistake, but I also look at that and go, all right, for Pete Carroll, he didn't, he wasn't anticipating that, and that's why he didn't call a timeout. And so hindsight is, well, yeah, I did. If I if I would have known right. that we would have a fifty yard bomb to DK Metcalf, I would have called that timeout. So I, I look at that and say, big mistake. However, it's more on the fact that you didn't have a clear plan at the end of the half in terms of what you were going to do in that scenario. So um, that's that's more of what I I look at in that moment. Those four other key plays, those pivotal plays, those are direct reasons why you lose the game. We've got a good question from the 360. I'm going to add into this segment as well. Um, So let me get this segment set up quickly because I have a lot of questions for you that I want to bounce off of you. Uh, And for texters, you can text the Coors Light text line at 710-710. I feel like I made Twitter mad at me this morning. Really? Was not my intention. Uh, Pete Carroll was on with Brock and Salk on Brock and Salk in the morning for his weekly Pete Carroll show. Um, He talked about uh, the run game. He had two questions in particular that I think irked people. One was Brock Heward saying, uh, hey, you doesn't look like you've been able to establish uh, this like physical kind of imposing your will at the line of scrimmage in the run. Is that something you still believe you can do? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Like they haven't been able to do it, but that's something he feels like they have the personnel to do. Uh, And the other was talking about the game plan. What didn't get going? You know, what was the deal with the offensive line? And Pete Carroll gave kind of a longer answer to that. But toward the end of it, he basically said, he doesn't think the run game is the problem. It's just, you know, the way the game plan unfolded. Then I uh, I retweeted mm. someone who kind of critiqued that, and I said, "Look, and it, I believe this, by the way. I'm not apologizing. I'm not. This is. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm clarifying. This is how Pete Carroll plays. He's not going to change the way he plays. Correct. He will play like it this Sunday and next Sunday and the Sunday after that. It's the offense that he likes. Mm-hmm. Now." There are some fair critiques there. Fair critiques would be, um, okay, so what do you do when you fall behind? Can you still play the game that you want to play when you can't establish the run? And that's fair. Um, And I think you could say that they tried to open it up and they just kept hurting themselves because Russell Wilson passed for more than 400 yards. Here's the thing. I I really believe this is that uh, Russell Wilson, um, you know, we'll we'll get into this later, but Russell Wilson, I think – outside of a couple plays, had a very, very good game. And I think, you know, Danny O'Neill wrote a really good article on Mm 710sports.com this morning talking about how this was uh, an agonizing loss and honestly their worst loss at home under under Pete Carroll. You know, and when you look at this game and the way that it was shaping up in the first half, in the first half, Stacey, you look at at uh, Russell Wilson's stat line and he had one incompletion. I mean, he was playing... Very, very good football. And and so mm-hmm. you're just wondering what the disconnect is, and that's why it was so hard. But it comes down to those simple mistakes throughout the game that led to touchdowns for the Saints, and now all of a sudden, before you know it, this game is completely out of hand, and your offense really has just kind of shot themselves in the foot or really hasn't been able to get going. And by the time that you know 
the Saints are getting this wide margin, now you have to abandon your uh, style of play altogether. So I think the bigger issue is when you look at this offensive line in particular, where are the flaws? Where are they coming from? And and I think in the run game in particular, we t- I talked about it briefly in our first segment, but th- this offensive line, one, the lack of penetration, and two, the lack of ability to get a hat for a hat. So here's my question about that, mm-hmm. and I know that you're going to continue, but just so that I can fit in kind of the uh, someone who maybe needs an extra explainer with some of this stuff is yeah. when they look at it and they say Seattle ranks 15th in the run, um, they know who they're going to be. They didn't. There was no question about their identity. Is it them being out physicaled? Is it them uh, being out schemed? What, no, what goes into that? Not not in this game. In this game, there were moments, and I think there were particular moments where they got out physicaled. When it's fourth, so Pete Carroll decides to go for it on fourth and one. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of the half, bold call in that moment. I think mismanaged, but. What do you pride yourself on? Mm-hmm. Fourth and one, you should be able to get it because and you this is the week before. this is your philosophy. You converted the week before, like you said, and you've got a, a offensive line that is big, that is prideful in, in terms of being nasty, and you've got a, a very strong running back in Chris Carson. You think that you would be able to get fourth and one and dominate in that moment? They did not, and you can talk about the play call. I, I, I wasn't particularly fond of it in terms of you know they lined up in a heavy formation inviting more guys into the box they tried to get a puller uh, involved in that and that also can lead to um, missed assignments which is exactly what happened in that moment allowed for a free linebacker to fill the gap Um, so there's a lot of things that you can point to I think that this offensive line just had too many miscues in terms of assignments and at different plays got out physical however there were also some really good runs. There were some really good runs that they were able to put through. And when I watched the tape, Stacey, I was surprised by the fact that I was looking at it going, you know what? This wasn't as bad in the run game as I thought. Really? Yes. And I was really surprised by that. And What changed your mind? Well, I look at the way that the game was, was going. Early on, there were moments and times where this run game was successful mm-hmm. and actually produced some big plays. Chris Carson fumbled, obviously. Uh, but and, that was a point of momentum for them. That that was, that. and and they were able to. I mean, you look at that. Chris Carson doesn't fumble the ball. That was a great run. That was actually very very well executed in the blocking scheme. And they had a couple of those moments, but the game got out of hand way too quickly, way too fast. And now you're trying to play catch up, and now you have to abandon the run game, so yeah. to speak. And and so it's it's easy to as a fan get caught up in the moment, and I certainly was too. I felt that way. This game did not feel good in any stretch of the imagination. But when you go back and watch the tape and watch it from an emotionless point of view, this actually, the the offensive line, I think, did an okay job, not a great job. There's still things that they need to get fixed, but you've got an opportunity this next week against Arizona to really try and get things right, and hopefully you can establish your brand of football uh, this this next game because simply for the Saints, against the Saints, you had to abandon everything very quickly, um, and, and you just unfortunately couldn't tell exactly where the offensive line is at this moment in time. Do you think there's anything overtly wrong with Carroll's philosophy? Because I don't. I think it's a philosophy that isn't that exciting, 
it's conservative, but I think it it's about how you execute it and it's about how you develop it. It is. Me. It's about how you change in year two. You don't become a different offense, but now teams know what to expect from you. Right. You've you, got to change. You, you can't run over people all Right. The time. You can't be predictable. It's just simple. I mean, I, I showed you, uh, I had someone text me actually about what Tony Romo, because we're in a press box, we cannot watch or cannot listen to what's being said, but we can watch the, the TV yeah. uh, copy of what's going on. And I got a text from someone saying, wow, bold statement from Tony Romo saying, basically just going in on the offense saying how predictable it was, how they cannot sustain this. Because I asked you you up there, like, how many teams do you think face each other in the NFL and they know 80% of what you're going to run? Yes, and and a lot of it, I would say probably heading into a game for a defense, a very good defense, they're going to pick up on your formations, they're going to pick up on your tendencies, and for the Seahawks, I would say that they are very predictable in their run game in particular. You know exactly when they're going to go to their zone read schemes based out of the formations that mm-hmm. they get into, and you could see it. It was very evident. The, the, the Saints linebackers were, were beating the offensive line to the spots, not just because they were physically faster, but because they knew, they knew what was coming. And that's where you have to get more creative as an offense and as a, as a play caller to disguise your run schemes or create some different run schemes just to set people off track. And, and, and I think that's something that they desperately need to find as they head into this. I think that they can run the football. But right now, these other 31 teams, they get paid too. They are you know hitting the tape just as hard. And you were able to take people by surprise in this first year. Under Brian Schottenheimer, you were able to shock people with George Fant coming in as a as a tight end to to block. Now everybody sees the tape, understands the tendencies, and it has been somewhat of the same thing. And that's where a guy like Tony Romo, who watches the tape, who studies and prepares for these games, can say those types of things because yeah. it's because it's true. Man, I could talk about this specific topic for the entire two hour show, but we're not going to. Uh, is Jacob Eason a legitimate top 10 pick, Jake, or is everyone being a prisoner of the moment? We're going to ask Jake Heaps that next on Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. This, this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got deep, deep, deep. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. Uh, it's time for Four Down Territory, Jake. We asked Jake Heaps it. four football questions. Let's start with question number one. Number one. Pete Carroll said that he personally made mistakes throughout this game. Jake, what was his biggest? Ooh, the tough one because there were multiple, multiple mistakes, there were a uh, lot. uncharacteristic mistakes. Honestly, I mean, I know that you know people give him a hard time about the timeout situations in his past and all that, but I mean, he this was very uncharacteristic. And I think the biggest one was going for it on fourth and one at the end of the half. Especially in Pete Carroll's philosophy and the in the way that he likes to play this game, it was just very out of tune for him. He got caught up in the moment of, hey, we're going to try and win this game at home, be the aggressor. We want to get ourselves you know, back to essentially a 0-0 ball game by tying this thing up. And what you end up doing is you end up giving the New Orleans Saints the ball uh, with two minutes left to go in, in very, very good field position. And and now you're, you're putting yourself in a, a big hole, uh, giving the Saints all the momentum before... Yeah they have a chance to get the ball they're getting the ball first in the second half so I thought that that was a a poor decision in that moment which ultimately led to the wide margin and the downfall uh, that ended up happening in this game 
Yeah, that's uh, one of those moments where as much as Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer have been critiqued for being conservative, I don't think it's a bad uh, play to play for field position there. I totally agree. Uh, question number two. Number two. Jake, what is your hard analysis on the way Russell Wilson played in yesterday's game? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, you look at around, you know, especially the Twitter world, uh, uh, pe- the people Twitter were very, world. very hard on Russell Wilson. Um, and From yesterday? Yeah, there were there were mixed reactions. Man, Russ played great. Man, he you know he didn't play good enough at all. Huh. Uh, you know, made some critical mistakes. My hard analysis is this: I think Russell Wilson has been the only constant for the Seahawks in these three games. I think Russell Wilson has played very, very good football. He ranks amongst the best in the NFL right now, and he's been majorly efficient. The one, the one mistake that Russell Wilson made yesterday was fourth and five, heading into their end zone, uh, and missed Tyler Lockett for a touchdown. Uh, cover zero situation. He always hits those. He is historically money in these cover zero situations and and making defenses pay. That was the one time that you know he misses to Tyler Lockett, and that one ultimately hurt them in the long run. I thought that, that was really the big play. You know, some people were critiquing that he was under throwing guys and 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 you know balls were low. Yes, but did it take away from the fact of them winning and losing? No, yeah. you're just getting picky, like. The guy can't be perfect, and right? several of those were still catchable. Yes, and, and were they were, caught. and they were caught. So, what are you really critiquing there? So, I think overall, Russell is playing very, very good football right now. He's being being very efficient, trustworthy with the ball, and the only reason why that game was even close was because of their quarterback play. Yeah, I remember that drive in particular. Um, because coming out of the half, you and I were watching along with Bob and Lydia Cruz, and uh, I was looking at some of the feedback and said, okay, let's um, watch this, but I want you to tell me the first play you see where you think that's too conservative. They need to open this up more. And that drive in itself was was fine. I mean, the, the play calling itself was, was mostly good. Um, the execution was mostly good. And it was unfortunate that Russell Wilson, who had been um, almost perfect up until that moment, in that one moment that he couldn't be, they couldn't get it done. Yes. And you have to be able to support your quarterback, even if it's your franchise quarterback. He can't win you the game alone. That's yeah. a lot to ask for anyone. Question number three. Number three. Jake, Jacob Eason is a legitimate, oh, wait, is he a legitimate top 10 pick? I started out way too confident. Or is he, <laughs> is everyone being a prisoner of the moment? Yeah, it's one of my favorite terms, uh, prisoner of the moment. Are we too dramatic in, in our feelings and, and our reactions? And with Jacob Eason, the way that he played versus BYU, Man, it is it is hard to not get caught up in that performance. I mean, I saw ta- you and Howdy ta- tweeting at each other, congratulating each other. Oh yeah, other are you kidding me? I mean, I think that's a whole different discussion. Right. People trying to downplay Jacob Eason's talents and who he was and what he could be, and that this was a legitimate quarterback competition. Get the heck out of here with that. Jacob Eason was always this type of player and just needed the opportunity to continue to grow, gain confidence, and I always felt that he could do this. That never wavered, and Boy Howdy uh, agreed with me in that. So we share that together. Um, Brock Heward has come around because of these performances. Do you think it's Todd the performances Mc... or peer pressure from you guys? <laughs> Maybe. Which has had I, I think impact. Jacob Eason's performances have forced the hand. Okay, and I Todd McShay... Obviously, he has come out strong and said that Jacob Eason, in his mind, is the number one pick, the the top prospect in this draft. And when he was talking about it, because he was doing the sideline for the BYU game, you could hear the fact that he knows 
that it's ridiculous to be talking about this because Jacob Eason, this is his third game in, in two years of playing. Right. But what you see on the field is size, arm talent, his you know decisive decision-making. You're watching him and going, man, I cannot poke a hole in what he's doing right now. And so although it is very, very early, he is a legitimate top 10 prospect right now in the in this upcoming draft. The prob- the thing that you have to preface that with is you're going to find out a lot about him heading into this next week again. SC, he's going to be playing Stanford, Oregon, uh, Utah. So you're going to face some very, very tough opponents, Pac-12 opponents, and you're going to learn a lot more about him. How can he handle pressure? Can he continue you know, playing at this level because his completion percentage is out of control. Uh, but he makes throws, Stacey, that very, very few can make. What are those weaknesses those teams could potentially exploit? Well, I think the big thing is just looking at it and saying, can we get pressure on him and how, how will he respond? Will he respond well to having people in his face, having bodies around him? Can he can he respond with hot answers and and you know getting the ball out of his hands and making good decisions? I think that's the big answer that Jacob Eason needs to not only answer for NFL scouts, but also if this UW offense and team is going to be successful and, and continue to hopefully sneak their way back into this Pac-12 championship conversation. Question number four. Number four. Jake, the offensive line didn't give up a sack yesterday, but the da- did that tell the true story of their protection? Ooh, yeah, I would say that this offensive line did a pretty good job. They did okay. a very good job in pass protection. However, Russell Wilson bailed them out. And that's the beauty of Russell Wilson. That's why he is the highest paid player in this league. That's why he's so dynamic is his ability to escape the pocket and be able to make plays. And if you had Tom Brady back there, there's probably multiple sacks. You know, so I think this offensive line played better. They were able to get their hands on guys and give Russell Wilson an opportunity to create. Um, and so with that being said, I do think that they had a better performance. They're not where they need to be, especially with Jermaine Effetti still having issues, um, you know, not getting bowled back into the quarterback, but uh, much better than, than the first two weeks. All right, man. I don't know. I don't even know. I want to take some positives away from this game. I'm going to try to include a couple. There's not, Stacey. There really isn't any positives. Here's the thing is that even the positives are masked with bad things. Bobby Wagner had a career-high 18 tackles, which is second all-time in franchise history for a single game. Right. Yet the team couldn't bring down Alvin Kamara. He looked like he was covered with Vaseline. He, I have no he, idea what he was doing. It was magic. He is unbelievably talented. One of the one of the other things that was pretty rough to hear was Pete Carroll saying today that he didn't know Alvin Kamara was this good. But I think Al- that Alvin he, I don't Kamara, think he meant it that way. Well, I hope not because Alvin Kamara is one of the best backs in the league. He is a unique talent in terms of his ability. That's why, Stacey, you and I were so adamant on Friday filling in yeah. on the Brock and Salk show saying that Alvin Kamara needed to be the focal point for this defense to stop him, to control him, not only in the running game, but also in the passing game, because he's going to be the difference maker for that Saints offense. And it came it came to life. Uh, he is a unique player. He has great balance, great power, you, you know, sneaky power. And it showed up. I mean, he looked like a created player out there. I feel like I interpreted it as, look, we were expecting a top-tier running back. We weren't expecting like a very slippery Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, he looked like a Space Jam reference they here. He could was looking not like bring a, him down. He was looking like a monster out there. <laughs> 
such a dumb joke. Why am I still laughing? I don't know. Reminder for you guys, you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app, driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Also, it's not funny, it's angry. Before I forget, uh, we are going to do Ask Us Anything at 845. Send your questions into the Coors Light text line anytime this hour. I'll start collecting those. You can text those to 710-710. Anything you want, we'll answer those Please text at us. 845. Please text us. We're going to have our observations from the game next on Seattle Sports at Night.